Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Melicaro. We are well into the offseason here in downtown Buffalo as the Bisons and their parent club, the Toronto Blue Jays, have finished up play for this season. We're well into the postseason now as the World Series is about to get underway. And as we take a look at the offseason of 2019 leading into the 2020 season, I thought it might be a good chance to look back at the 2019 season throughout the Blue Jays organization. That includes our friends down in Lansing, down in the single A Midwest League. Jesse Goldberg Strassler is the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts. He has been there for the better part of the last decade. Jesse is a tireless broadcaster, working many different aspects of the broadcast for Lansing and also putting together the weekly Around the Nest podcast. If you check in every Friday during the regular season, you'll see Around the Nest being put together by Jesse, interviewing all the different broadcasters throughout the affiliation along the Toronto Blue Jays organizational ladder. And Jesse is a wealth of knowledge, not only in baseball, but throughout sports as well, having written and published several different books. He was also named the 2019 Minor League Broadcaster of the Year by Ballpark Digest. This week, I had a chance to catch up with Jesse, and let's start right there. So, Jesse, before we talk about some of the prospects that may have come through Lansing and and on their way up to Buffalo, I want to talk to you a little bit about your career, if you don't mind, for a minute. Uh, First of all, for the folks tuning in, they might not know that you were named the Minor League Broadcaster of the Year by Ballpark Digest. Congratulations. What does an honor like that mean to you? Pat, thank you very much. Uh, It feels validating. When we do our work, I think when you're a player, you immediately get to see whether you succeed or fail, whether you give up a base hit, you strike a batter out, you collect a home run, you make a diving catch. I think as a broadcaster, it's different. You like to have good relationships with the people that you work with, with the team, with your front office. Uh, You like for them to let you know, hey, I appreciate the job that you're doing. This gives a different sense of validation within the field as a whole that, hey, the work that I'm doing is appreciated. And now that social media is, you know, all encompassing, so to speak, in terms of highlights on demand all the time, uh, Twitter updates all the time, folks are putting clips of games, game winning plays, your highlights online. Are you finding there's even more of an interaction, more of a validation because of just maybe the age we live in now? I haven't found that as much. I will put the highlights of a game online or I'll put an interview up. But what I've generally found with that is people like the substance of it. So let's say I put up an interview. People aren't going to say, hey, great interview, as much as they'll say, that was really interesting to know about that guy. Or if I put up the highlights of a very exciting game, it won't be great calls. It'll more like, uh, that sounded like an exciting game. What a wild game, which is actually more to my preference, which is, The broadcast itself is not getting in the way of somebody's enjoyment of it. If I interview a player that you lose yourself, you immerse yourself within that interview and you feel like you're getting to know that person. If you listen to the broadcast, it's not you being aware that somebody is talking at you for three hours in a row. It's you diving right into the joy of the experience. So I do appreciate that a lot. I don't know, though, about the interactions that it's increased, although I certainly do think that being able to share the uh, the highlights, the interviews, everything like that, it does make it more available for people to hear my voice than would otherwise be able to hear it. You, you, I, I like that you mentioned that because you and I have both worked in baseball a long time, and I can remember back to before the social media days when you'd hear about a prospect, but 
if it, if it didn't come up on maybe national highlights or they weren't talking about him on a show like Baseball Tonight, you really didn't get to see players' prospects come up through the ranks. But now you do because when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette are in Lansing or, you know, you name the prospect, you know what they did that night. If they had a big play in the game, in the field, or at the plate, you probably saw or heard the highlight. And that awareness of fans really shows through now so that fans can find out about these players by the time they get to Toronto. They've probably seen uh, every different type of swing that, that a player may have had or, or those great defensive plays and how they become a better player over the course of maybe just a couple of years. Pat, let me go back to 2011. The very end of the year, the Lugnuts were contending and, as a matter of fact, made it all the way to the League Championship Series. And the Blue Jays helped us out by bringing in some young pitchers right from Vancouver. And I didn't know who they were. We suddenly had a right-hander named Aaron Sanchez who was on the mound. I had never heard of him before. And when I sent out the transaction, when I let everybody know Aaron Sanchez is going to be making his Lugnuts debut starting first tonight – Nobody cared. This was not a thing. It did not send up waves. When Noah Syndergaard was suddenly added to our team, this was not something that around the Midwest League, around prospect lovers, every, uh, everybody like that, this was not a, oh my gosh, Noah Syndergaard is making his single A debut. Now, if you receive a, a touted prospect, if I receive, let's say an Alec Manoa had suddenly shown up on my doorstep or Simeon Woods Richardson drops into Dunedin, you can't get away from here's who this player is. Here's why we should be excited, which I like very much. I like now that, you know, a player can arrive and it's not you saying, what do I, what can I find about this player? It is all an entire mystery. Now you do have resources that you can turn to, to help give you that introduction before that pitcher ever throws his first pitch wearing the Bison's uniform. And for your, your broadcasts are a great resource for those of us in the upper rungs of the organization and, you know, the work that is done in the lower levels as well. How, how do you maybe go about finding some of the uh, diamonds in the rough, so to speak, in terms of interesting things to point out about a player or, um, you know, just just getting to know these players, maybe somebody that isn't on the 40-man roster or wasn't acquired in a trade um, for, for a Marcus Stroman, and how are those, you know, without giving away the trade secrets, but, you know, getting to know these players at your level, and, and does that make uh, it that much, enhance your broadcast that much more? I think it does, because our job is to say what goes on in the game, but also to introduce these players to our listeners as people. And so the secret that I use is I don't immediately get to know them. I shake their hand immediately. I welcome them to the team. I say hello. And then I pull back and I watch. And I listen to what they say to their teammates and their coaches. I listen to what they say in other interviews. I'm perpetually watching the way that they interact and what they show about their personality. And then several weeks in, a month in, that's when I feel comfortable and they feel comfortable enough with me. They now know that they can trust me. And that's when we can sit down and really talk. I didn't interview Griffin Conine until the final week of the season because he was doing so many interviews that I wanted to give him his space and let him know that I was not going to be somebody to put him on the spot. I was not going to make him look bad, that it was my job to take care of the team and to take care of media. But it was all very respectful and doing my job for everybody. He wasn't going to receive any different treatment than a Yorman Rodriguez. Eric Pardino joins the team. The first thing I want to know is what languages can we speak with each other? 
Eric Pardino speaks Spanish fluently and Portuguese fluently, not great with English, not great with Japanese. So I know a little bit of Spanish. We could speak Spanish to each other, and then I could learn Portuguese. And little by little, I could speak Portuguese with him. And that way we could get to know each other. And from that, just showing them, demonstrating, you can respect me. Anything that you want to say to me that I should not say on the air, you should feel free to come up to me. Anything that you hear me say on the broadcast that I shouldn't have shared, we can talk things through. Then from there, that's when I start to get to know them as people. What their skills are, who's the best ping pong player, who enjoys music, what are their personalities like? Once that trust is built, then we can really go forward. And then I can start finding out those really fun stories to share. And what I've found is once players trust you, they want to share stories and they'll come up to you before the game. You don't even have to ask. And they'll say, see that third baseman on the other team? He dated my sister back five years ago and onward. Those stories are provided to you. And it's, I think a good example of that is earlier this year in, in 2019, Andre Satillo joined the Bisons and you and I traded a couple messages and just a couple minutes later, your conversation with him, maybe one of multiple conversations with him for the broadcast you shared with me. And it's that, that trust factor and um, the, the getting to know him over time that really showed through. So I, I feel like that's su such a valuable thing. And then it's valuable for the listeners. And then for those of us that maybe see him and, and other players like that, maybe as he moves up the organizational ladder. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I went downstairs. The Lugnuts were hosting the Dayton Dragons. I was just getting the starting lineups, and there were three Dayton Dragons playing hacky sack. And I went and I joined them. And they said, who are you? I said, I'm the broadcaster. And they said, broadcaster, and you're going to hack with us? And from there, doors open. Uh, with Andre Sotillo, he's very quiet. He's very private. And sometimes he's very stoic. Maybe he'll crack a grin, but he's not the most outgoing of people. And yet in getting to know him, the story that he had to move eight hours to go from his home to attend simply the baseball academy where he could get scouted and then signed eventually by the Toronto Blue Jays, that he had to travel eight hours away within his home country of Venezuela, that to me was amazing that he was married and he has a young kid. And there are not a lot of players who say, hey, let me tell you about my personal life. And Soti is very open of, let me introduce you to my son or here's my second child on its way. But you're right, that does come with time. And I think it's just so important for us too to say, we should not concentrate on this key player or that key player. Uh, there's always going to be a player who you and I will gravitate to because we just get along with them immediately. The same way that you would in school, you have a whole classroom full of people and you gravitate toward friends, similar values, whatever draws you to them. But with us, there are so many players who come in and out and we have to tell all of their stories. We can't leave guys alone. We can't say they bring a new pitcher onto the game, but I don't care enough about him to tell the listener who he is. Every single player deserves his story to be told. And so because of that, uh, you really do have to work to build that trust and to watch and listen and see how they interact. And then one of my favorite questions to ask a guy is, what are you working on? That's before the game. And then after the game or after a week has occurred, I can walk back to him and I can say, here's what I've seen. How is this going? And the player can say, it's not going well. It is going well. And that shows that we don't have to be friends but I'm interested in telling the story of his progress toward the major leagues. 
Jesse, we'll talk about the 2019 season for Lansing in a moment, but I, I want to ask you one more question uh, on this topic. And I brought up Andre Satio for a reason. You look at the 2019 Bison roster, and it was buoyed a lot by players from Lansing, Dunedin, the lower levels of the organization, single A specifically, to help fill out the roster at times. Satio, you look up and down the pitching staff with a guy like Turner Larkins at one point, or, you know, in, in Graham Spraker's case. So you've got guys that came up maybe only a day or two, made a spot start, go back to single A or even to, to New Hampshire. Um, has that something that in your time in Lansing um, for the better part of a decade now, has that changed? Have you seen players go up to the higher levels of minor league baseball quicker or in terms of maybe short fixes for teams than maybe when you started? I do think that this has changed a little bit. Something that I really enjoy is that the Blue Jays, I believe, are using their minor league system more. I think we can still see the minor league free agents or those players that they have acquired from other organizations. But I think that there has been a commitment to trying to grow talent within the system and then moving that talent up together to the point where I could see next year's Buffalo Bisons pitching staff being the 2019 New Hampshire Fisher Cats pitching staff. And I think what you saw from those players coming in from a Larkins or a Spraker, those guys should get to Buffalo down the road, but giving them that taste, letting them know AAA is not that far away. When players have come back to Lansing after getting that taste of the upper levels, it's been so good for their morale and so good for their teammates' morale in shortening up the system and in letting them understand your major league dreams are not as distant as you think. It all works to build great organizational morale, and I do think that that has changed within the years that I've been with the Blue Jays organization. A 68-71 and 71 finish for Lansing this past year, or just a couple games below 500, finishing the year uh, with a couple of game winning streak to boot uh, to try and get back closer to 500. For folks that maybe not uh, were following Lansing as closely, uh, maybe just kind of tuning into Around the Nest or, or just picking up here and there, what can you maybe tell folks was the story of the 2019 season? I think that the lead story was that the top prospects that we expected to carry the team were hurt. So we only got a month of the season out of Jordan Groshans, the first rounder, who looked great in that month. It was a really fun April, but then he went down. And meanwhile, Riley Adams was moved up from Dunedin to AA New Hampshire. So we lost our excellent catcher, Alejandro Kirk. Kirk moves up to Dunedin, looked like a terrific prospect. And then we got Gabriel Moreno a youngster who is not slated to play in Lansing. And that number three, number four spot in the order was now open. No Groshans, no Kirk. Moreno, here's your chance, and he seized it. And I think that he established himself as one of the best prospects in the entire league by the time that the season was done. The other key prospect that we were looking forward to seeing this year was Eric Pardino. And Pardino, too, was sidelined due to injury. We only got a month, basically, out of Eric. So I'm curious to see in 2020, when Jordan Groshans is healthy, does he come back to Lansing? When Pardino is healthy, does he come back to Lansing? But because of the two of them and their absences, it did allow other players to really step up and make their presence felt. And that's where we got to see a Joey Murray, who was a top 10 round draft pick and a great strikeout ace out of Kent State, but doesn't throw hard, those 87 to 90 miles an hour, in Lansing discovered a changeup perfected it in Dunedin, and suddenly was up in New Hampshire dominating. He's going to be a Buffalo Bison next year. He came out of nowhere. 
Josh Winkowski, a player who's not on anyone's top 30 prospect list. He started off the season as our opening day starter, which I think would have gone to Eric Pardino if he was healthy. Well, Winkowski had the opportunity, and he was excellent, earned his way up to Dunedin. He should be in New Hampshire's rotation next year. And then in our bullpen, a Jackson Reese, a non-drafted free agent, was outstanding. 24 years old, revamped his entire mechanics in the offseason, came back with several different sliders, a sinker, a cutter, everything. The two-seamer was working, the four-seamer was working, and untouchable. So the top prospects, the headliners, weren't there because of injury, and the players who you didn't know about, perhaps, they suddenly headlined. And I'll wrap up with Otto Lopez won the league's batting title. Otto Lopez, who a couple of years ago with the Gulf Coast League Blue Jays, batted in every single spot in the order, one through nine, except cleanup, and played every single defensive position in the infield and the outfield, except, let's say, catcher and pitcher. And suddenly he became a priority guy with us because we needed him to play shortstop. Groshans is hurt. And it goes out and he wins the league's batting title. And now he's a Baseball America top 30 prospect. So that, to me, was really the impressive story of 2019. And I think it goes to show just the depth of your organizational talents. You know, here at AAA, it's it's no surprise or no secret that there were some lean years. And after guys like Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez in the starting rotation, because of the trades that helped the Blue Jays make the postseason in 15 and 16, it meant that it would take a few more years to see guys like Ryan Barucki or now this year Nate Pearson, TJ Zoik, who was sidelined for almost half the year due to injury, but we always kept hearing their names at the lower levels of the organization. So it's establishing yourself in Lansing, in Vancouver, in Dunedin, so that you know you can build on, if you're in, in terms of Otto Lopez case, offensively, build on your 324 season this past year and, and continue to grow as a player because now that you've put yourself on the map, that means that there is so much more depth in the organization. And I think that only means good things when New Hampshire uh, starts to reload again, or here in, in Buffalo, after a lot of the double-A uh, champions the year before got a taste of triple-A life, now they can flourish in maybe year two here at triple-A. The idea of the waves of prospects is something that I'm fascinated by, because you just saw that wave, and Nate Pearson is the final part of that wave coming from New Hampshire up to Buffalo and now into the major leagues. And so the next question is, where is that next wave? Where is it starting and who is part of it? And I do think that you are going to see perhaps not position players yet because there was a lot of struggling from the New Hampshire position players last year. I do think that you are going to see the pitching wave coming up next to Buffalo. Jesse, I wanted to ask you also about um, just a couple more minutes here with you. I wanted to ask you about um, in Lansing, we mentioned Aaron Sanchez a couple of minutes ago and when he made his debut in 2011. There have been a lot of the big prospects come through. Um, the organization over the last decade have made a stop in Lansing along the way. How much pride is there in the Lansing organization in just in terms of the fan base in that they got to see a lot of these players maybe before they put themselves on the map or while they were continuing what was expected to be a major league career and, and what the team and the lug nuts do, do uh, whether it be promotions, uh, just in the ballpark, whatever, to help celebrate the alumni? There has been enormous pride with our front office with the team and with the community in the way that these top prospects have come through Lansing and have not busted. 
when, uh, the Lansing Lugnuts originally were a Kansas City Royals affiliate. They had top prospects who didn't always pan out. Uh, Carlos Beltran panned out the best, but the rest of the guys not as much. And then they were Chicago Cubs team, and really Felix Pia never really turned out to be uh, the type of player that they wanted him to be, or a Montañez never turned out. And now what we are seeing is, let's just go back two years ago. Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. were here, and now they're in the major leagues. And that is a point of great pride that people can say, that, that uniform, wearing that uniform out there on that field, I saw Bo and Vladdy play. They were here. They're in the major leagues. That feels special. And so we have their photographs in the clubhouse. We just did our Vladimir Guerrero Jr. shirt giveaway day this past year. And now, from that point onward, you would just see fans at every single game wearing their Guerrero Jr. shirts. We're going to see a lot more signage for Bo, for Vladdy, and for Kevin Biggio, who, when he was with the Lansing Lugnuts, was a non-factor. He was a guy at the top of the order, and he had just been drafted, and he had the familiar name, and nobody thought that he was a top prospect. Nobody thought that he was a certainty to make the major leagues. And seeing him up there, seeing a Danny Jansen up there, who batted just 206 or so in Lansing, that has been such a thrill. That that point of pride, oh yes. People saying Lansing Lugnuts making it to the major leagues, this is great for us and for the community. I'm glad you brought up Kevin uh, for, for a minute there because I remember back to last year and it was Bo, it was Vladdy, and yeah, Kevin was in the conversation as well, but because maybe he didn't have the out-of-the-gate success that the other two had had at the other levels of the organization, uh, Kevin, it, he he put his name on the map last year, and everybody knew who he was. But it necessarily was it wasn't something that just came to him right away, and something he really had to work at. And oh, by the way, he was the league MVP last year in the Eastern League, so that helps put you back on the radar. But um, you know, sometimes you get those players that even even though they they come from a, a big time baseball family or whatever, they still have to figure out their own way and have to do it kind of the hard way. Pat, I think that, and I'm going to connect this to, let's say, the indie band scene. The fans who care, they know who the top prospects are. And so they will gravitate toward other players. They will choose other guys who they say, I believe in this guy. I love him. Whatever it is, whatever he does, maybe it's how he treats them off the field because he's such a caring individual. Maybe they just, every time they come to the ballpark, he does something. They ride their hopes in that player. And when that player makes it, guarantee you there are Buffalo Bisons fans, New Hampshire Fishercats fans who say to all of their friends, I knew Kevin Biggio was going to get there. I knew he was going to be this good. And just you watch or Jacob Waggispack or whoever it is, they tie their hopes to that player. And it just makes them feel so good when that player makes it. Jesse, just a couple more minutes here. I appreciate you joining us on the power alley. Um, I wanted to go back to um, your play-by-play calls and, and your style of calling the game and, and how you, you, in some unique ways even, will, will call a game. How, how do you feel you have been influenced over the course of your career or um, just kind of evolved as a broadcaster since uh, coming out of Ithaca and settling into your role in Lansing? I think that I was influenced from a young age by the broadcasters I listened to growing up in Maryland, the Orioles broadcasters, to have fun because the teams weren't that great. And so even so, you made sure that the fans still wanted to listen to you every single night. Uh, My feeling is however the team is doing, the listener should be enjoying the broadcast. Something else that I learned, I worked under broadcasters who it was all about their description. 
I still think that way. Ben Wagner is a perfect example of this. The way that he calls the game, the words that he uses, nobody else says those things, and they're just so evocative. I love that. I heard once uh, a broadcast, uh, a broadcaster's broadcast described as every single night sounds the same, and I never want to be that way. Each grounder is not the same, right? Or each pop-up is not the same. I think it's so fun to figure out ways that you can say things differently. I worked under a broadcaster in Montgomery, Alabama, who one day he told me every single pop-up, he was going to try to figure out a new way to describe it. And so one pop-up had it falling out of the blue sky right into the player's glove. And it was just such a cool thing to try. So that kind of description. And then I would also say, I love stories. I grew up reading tons and tons of baseball books. And they were all about back in the day and this fun anecdote, that fun anecdote. So any fun stories about the players or today in baseball history, I really respect baseball tradition. Uh, so I, I think that I bring all of that. I hope that I bring all of that into my broadcasts. We'll wrap up in just one second. But for folks that, that might not know, I want to ask you about the your recreation game and your broadcast for that night. Can you kind of fill us in a little bit First of all, where the idea come from and, and what, what it all entails and how, how you pull it off, quite, quite honestly. So the recreation broadcast, back in the day, broadcasters couldn't go on the road. There simply wasn't the money or the technology. So they would stay at home in their home studio. The play-by-play would be messaged to them, and then they'd crack a wooden ruler together or wooden spoons or baseball bats, whatever it was, and make believe that they were calling the game live. Uh, well, back in 2005, my very first internship in baseball, I was the pregame, postgame host for independent Brockton in the Can-Am League, and I was assigned, along with my co-broadcaster Matt Miola, to try to recreate a game for the Brockton Rocks as a publicity stunt. And I felt I was terrible, and that was great, but three years later, I had that under my belt, that experience, and I'm working for the Windy City Thunderbolts, and we had all of the internet knocked out in our press box, but the internet stayed up in the front office. So because of that, I could call the game from the front office, but I couldn't see the game. And I thought, I know what to do. I sent my co-broadcaster, Nick Kovac, out, and he messaged me what was going on. And I cracked mini bats together and slapped a ball into a glove. And working together, the two of us recreated a no-hitter that night. And from that point onward, each year, just paying tribute to the broadcasters who've done it before, I recreate one game. In August, because that's the anniversary of Harold Arlen's first broadcast on KDKA in Pittsburgh, one game each year, we slam the ball into the glove, we crack two baseball bats together, and we call a lug nuts game live, recreated. Have you called a no-hitter since that recreated game? No, and, and <laughs> as a matter of fact, the, the thing is, each year, I just... And I emphasize it to whoever's messaging me. I say, we need to make sure that we get this right. And if I see it wrong or you message me wrong, things can go haywire. One year, I'm reading the messages, and we had a two-out sacrifice fly. So I have no idea how I made that work. But no, there has not been a truly special game from that, that moment in 2008 onward. Well, Jesse, I appreciate you taking some time in the offseason here to chat with me today. Look forward to uh, being a part of Around the Nest again next season. And uh, I look forward to checking in on Lug Nuts. Again, congratulations on being named the Minor League Broadcaster of the Year by uh, Ballpark Digest. Great honor for you. I know you put a lot of hard work into all your broadcasts, so uh, well-deserved, and congratulations again. Pat, you do such commendable work. This has been an honor. Thank you very much for having me on.
Thanks once again to Jesse for joining us here in the Power Alley. Don't forget, there are many Bisons connections as we get set for the World Series. Head over to Bisons.com. Check out the Bisons official Twitter feed at Buffalo Bisons or myself at Pat WGR as we'll keep you up to date on whether it be players, coaches, front office. There is always a Bisons connection, and you'll want to keep up to date at Bisons.com all offseason long as we start to roll out more of our promotional information for the 2020 season, which will get underway at the beginning of April. Until the next time, here in the Power Alley, I'm your host, Pat Melicaro. Thanks for tuning in.